Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Our, our hot topic, we got a question that's too long to fit on the screen, but we, uh, we have a, a pre-med who is, um, let's say, out of college for 10 years or so. He says he's in his 30s and is very worried about whether or not he has the unique experience he believes justifies being an older pre-med. Ooh. I love these questions, Scott. The, yep. the students yep. who worry about being unique enough. Yes. <laughs> What's your initial thought when you hear that? Well, you know, my initial thought is we're all unique. Yep. You know, we, 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 we all have our own set of circumstances, our own personalities, our own goals and desires. We, we are all unique in, in many different ways. And I think pre-meds worry about this way more than they should. Um, I think that this particularly comes up in the personal statement and other essays related to the application where they want to say something unique and they want to say it in a unique way. And my, my words to that are give it up, give it up. (laughs) It's all been said. It's all been read. Uh, So, you know, you have to just tell your story. And so with this um, particular person who's worried about how he, or he or she states it as ageism. Um, I, I think that what what you have to do is just tell your story. What you're worried about is uh, the, the the person asking the question says basically I, I don't necessarily have a reason why I'm an older student. I wasn't in the military. I doesn't. I haven't you know done anything that was spectacular in my twenties. I just kind of didn't do anything right and struggled and a little hustling and barely surviving, he says. <laughs> uh, and, and, and what, you know, I think the key here there, my, my, my experience is there's not an ageism issue in medical school. There is an issue related more specifically to why do you want to do this and why now yep. that's the issue. And so I think that, People who are not traditional uh, in terms of their pathway into medicine have to answer that question straight on and just be honest about where this is coming from. Uh, where is, where is uh, Ryan, as you put it in your book, the seed? Where is the seed? And where, uh, and then, and then you talk about the seed, and then you you broaden that to talk about what you know, what this is all about to you and where's the, where's the uh, um, motivation and the continuing impulse and stuff like that. So um, I, I think I wouldn't worry about it. And I, and I tell this story often that when I was at UT Southwestern is, as the director of admissions, we had a young uh, a, uh, applicant who um, we um, accepted and the, the day that she started, ironically, the day that she started medical school was her birthday, and she turned 50 that day. And uh, she ended up being the president of her class all four years and uh, graduated in, with, with great, you know, great fanfare and, and is now went through residency and is now out practicing medicine. Uh, she was not only 50, but she was a single parent. Uh, with teenagers. So this lady had some some gumption about her. <laughs> and that's what I think medical school uh, admissions committees want to see is, do you have the fire? Where's this fire coming from? And, uh, and, and then tell your story. And if your story is, as this guy put it, uh, I was uh, struggling and hustling my way through my 20s, then, then you say that. And you, you may be saying it a little bit different wording, but you say it and you just say, hey, I finally got my head straight on right. And uh, and now I'm, I want to do this. Uh, that's that's always been my uh, advice to students is just be honest and just t- 
tell the story the way it goes. And, uh, you know, you're not going to, thirties is no, no big deal, particularly. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of, uh, applicants who talk to me who, who are in their forties and fifties and, and they, they are the ones that really worry about it. Thirties. Ugh. This is no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, it's right. it's funny, and this is where I, I try to hammer home as often as possible how to critically think through what we see as data. Right, the AAMC puts out all of this data, but it's not interpreted in any way. It's just data. Right. Right. And so a student can look at that. A non-traditional student can look at that and go, "Wow, older applicants." don't get in nearly as often as younger applicants. So right. therefore, it's ageism, we're disadvantaged. I'm like, well, n no, the numbers don't tell you anything. And the numbers are right. just numbers, right? Right, right. Maybe the not the more non-traditional applicants are the ones who are kicking the can down the road every year because they're just not sure, right? I don't right. know if I want to do this. And that comes across in their personal statement in an interview. And of course, right. a medical school is not going to accept a student who really isn't sure that this is what they want to do. So just be careful looking at those numbers and in trying to interpret from them the story behind all of it because there's exactly. just so many variables. But exactly. It, you you hit the nail on the head at the beginning, right? There's what I say is like short of curing cancer, there's yeah. nothing that you're gonna do that's gonna make you unique, right? It's right. been done before. Yeah. What makes you unique is the lens that you see the world through, right? Yeah. The the parents that you had, the grandparents that you had, the siblings that you had, the best friends that you had, where you went to elementary school, where you went to middle middle uh, middle school. All of the experiences that you have lived have shaped your perspective and make you unique because of that. And now you tell your story based on that. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Ooh, when calculating GPA, what is considered freshman, sophomore, etc.? Are these based off of credit hours? So, Mr. Former Executive Director of TMDSAS, how did TMDSAS do this? Self-reported. Um, so the student puts in, uh, when they put in their, their um, courses, they indicate when I took this course. Yep. Was I a freshman? Was I a sophomore? There's nothing beyond that. They're just wanting to get a sense of, and, and what, you're, what you're putting in is a, a particular semester and that's really a much more important identifier than w whether you were a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior. <clears throat> They're putting in a, a semester, the semester of, let's say, 2014, or the uh, spring of 2014, or the fall of 2015, or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and, and that's what's tracked by the admissions committees in terms of getting a sense of trends and stuff in the GPA. There's also, and, and I think it, it gets a little bit more complicated now because so many students come in with hours that they took, uh, for example, dual credit in high school that they took, let's say, at a local community college or whatever. And, uh, and so that is denoted at least uh, at TMDSAS as PF or pre-freshman. So they took it pre-freshman, and then it's really left up to the student to identify what they consider to be their freshman semester, junior, senior, whatever. Yeah. So uh, a student, for example, that comes in with, um, you know, what would not be unusual is for a student to come in with 30, 40, maybe even more credit hours mm -hmm. uh, that they took dual credit. Um, and so they're really coming in as sometimes sophomore e or even a junior into the uh, calculated in terms of the credit hours. Mm -hmm. But it's really left up to the student in terms of them to enter that. So yeah. I wouldn't uh, fixate on that as a, as an applicant, just you know, make your best effort at identifying what you think you were at the time, and and then uh, and then if the if the application service, whether it's AMCAS or whatever, in terms of processing your application, has questions about it, then they'll make some alterations to it to make you know to to make uh, make it make more sense, or they'll contact you and say we're unclear about this. 
Yeah, I I think the way that Amcast specifically does it is they go based off of credit hours, and so mm-hmm. after X number of hours, you're now a sophomore. After right. X number of hours, you're now a junior. After X number of hours, and that's why I, I review a lot of applications, and you'll see like 30, 60, 90, right? 30 right. hours, thirty hours as a freshman, thirty hours as a sophomore, thirty hours as a as a junior, and then it's like. 70 hours as a senior because of all, all the extra hours just get added right. in as a senior right. unless right. they're they're post back and other stuff right. so right. really at the end of the day that it doesn't really matter and just yeah. put it in and it'll figure it out for you yeah exactly exactly oh i love gap year question <laughs> if i take a gap year or gap years how should i navigate my med school application with the pre-med health advising committee Especially the committee letter and letters of rec sent by my professors, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, this is a really good question for especially for students who take a longer longer than a, a, one gap year. Um, and this the the answer to this question is going to vary a little bit by uh, undergraduate institution in terms of how that gets worked out and what the policies of that advising office are related to alumni. Uh, when I was at UT Dallas, and uh, we served everybody, so if they were alumni, if they were current students, whatever, it didn't matter how long they were gone, uh, we would allow them to go through the process, et cetera. So it was it was uh, seamless, and it wasn't a big deal. I would suspect that that's going to be most undergraduate institutions, but uh, check with your pre-med advising office to see what their policy is with, with regard to um uh, alumni in terms of how they are how they serve them <clears throat> now in terms of committee letter now and that's going to really address the committee letter the the issue the the bigger issue here is are the individual professor or uh, other letters that are going to come in on your behalf to the advising office to be a part of the committee letter and I would recommend that if you're going to take one gap year, then I would say the, the, the best thing to do is not to get a letter a year in advance. Uh, keep in touch with that professor. Keep in touch with that doctor that you shadowed or that you did clinical work with. Keep in touch with them. Let them know what you're doing during your gap year. Every you know, month or two, send them an email and say, hey, you know, things are going great here in wherever you are and this is what I'm doing and uh, just let them let them be participating in what you're doing. You may not get a response, but at least they're aware of who you are, what you're doing. Uh, and, uh, and then they can, then uh, that next year when you're finishing your gap year, you can request the, that they send the letter uh, to the, uh, to the advising office. You don't want old letters. And I would say a year old letter is, is an old letter. Um, you want to, you want to have current up-to-date letter, like this is fresh off the press uh, <laughs> coming to the committee, coming to the committee. And, uh, and that's not, you know, that's not a problem. Um, multiple gap years, really same kind of advice and stuff. I mm-hmm. think that's not as frequent to have multiple gap years, but it, you know, it, it does happen. I think a one, one year gap year is very, is, uh, not the norm, but it's certainly not unusual these days. And so lots of students will do a gap year for a lot of uh, different reasons. Yeah. uh, When you're talking letters of recommendations in terms of recency, are you talking about like, if I get a letter recommendation, November of 2020, but I'm applying in 2021, should the letter be dated 2021? Or is it within a year? Well, my recommendation is always, um, to have the 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 year of your application be the year of the letter. Yeah. And so and what you can do with that, let's say Dr. Smith wrote you a letter in November of 2019 and here we are in July of 2020. All, all you have to do is go back to because the likelihood is that Dr. Smith has it on his computer somewhere. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is say, "Hey Dr. Smith, I really appreciate you writing this letter. It's awesome." You know, I thank you so much for your your confidence in me. Whatever, um, uh, uh, would you mind uh, updating your letter? All you would need to do is put the current date on it and resend it for me. 
Uh, I just want to make sure everything is like snap on on target and 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 uh, and dated well. And you know, and they're going to totally understand. And you know, the, yeah. unless it's a real you know jerk of a professor, <laughs> uh, then you know it's not going to be a problem. That's my recommendation. What is just I want I want to dig deeper on this because it it comes up all the time. Yeah. What is the perception? when a student applies with a letter that's a year or two old, at least dated a year or two old, what is, what is the perception there? So I think, I think there, there, there's two possible perceptions that can happen. One is, have you totally lost track of this professor? How close were you really with them? Mm. Uh, how well do they really know you? If you don't, you know, if you're not keeping in touch with them, um, that's one. The second one is, Maybe the professor changed his mind and won't write you another letter or, or won't do it anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you made him mad or, you know, <laughs> he discovered something about you that he didn't like and blah, 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 you know. So I, I think those the possibility of those things are really small. But my recommendation always with an application is even if it raises a small red flag, you don't want any red flags in your application. Mm -hmm. So I would say even if it's, you know, a little thing, uh, if it takes one email and then the professor re-uploading the, the letter, that's an, e that's an easy thing to do, not a problem. And, you know, and particularly if you, um, you know, if you run into issues with it, your advisor might be able to help with, uh, with talking to the professor and saying, oh, look, we're just, you know, we really advise students not to have, have year old letters or whatever. So, yep. you know, if you do that, if they, if the professor doesn't seem to understand why this is a big deal, yep. uh, you can often use the advising office to help you with that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesomeness. So I, I'm, Oh, here's another one. No, go ahead. <laughs> Where'd it go? Where'd it go? <laughs> I'm trying to find unique aspects. So here we go with the unique again. Unique oh, no. aspects to a school that may not be available on their website or on MSAR. What is the best way to discover hidden gems in schools? I was thinking about hunting down current students, but it has been hard to find students at specific schools. So I'll start with this one because I actually did a like a YouTube video, not a YouTube, a Facebook Live a while ago, I believe, um, about kind of hidden ways, basically this, right? Unique ways to find information. And it's why in Mapped, uh, if you actually go to the, the school directory, the med school directory in Mapped, we have links to all of the social media there as much as we can find. Because I think that's where the hidden gems are. I love... Number one, going to a YouTube channel, right? Go to the school's YouTube channel and see what they're posting. A lot of it's going to be some boring stuff, uh, some some professors talking about their research and other stuff. But there may be some unique experiences on there that you can find. Um, a, a little fun secret thing is you go to Instagram and you search based on location. And usually the schools are a location. And then you can see the students who are at that school posting and tagging their school. And you can you can kind of check out the vibe of the school and the campus and everything else is, a, is another fun little secret. Uh, but really the biggest thing, finding, finding students, is go, unfortunately, this is one of the places where I recommend going to Student Doctor Network. Um, I don't think Reddit has these specific threads, but Student Doctor Network has school-specific threads. And you go on that school-specific thread and you go and ask questions and go and read and, and just check out what's going on. And take it a little bit with a grain of salt. With a grain of salt, usually, because the, the ones that are the most unhappy are typically the ones that are going to be posting. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But don't become a Facebook stalker. Why not? Well, you don't want to end up in jail, <laughs> number one. <laughs> what What do you mean by Facebook stalker? No, I'm I, I'm sort of just kidding about that, but you don't want to try to, you know, try to really uh, track down. As the question asks, it track down yeah. students, and then all of a sudden start barraging them with questions yeah. and everything, and the student is like blocking, and, and then they go to their admissions officer and say, "There was this weirdo that was, you know." Let me let me ask you that because we live in a day and age where access to people 
is almost kind of just, it's super easy, right? You go yeah. to their social yeah. media and you can private message, right? Yeah. The the right. most famous celebrity in the world, whoever that is, I don't know. Yeah. But you, yeah. can, you can quote unquote slide mm -hmm. into their DMs, right? Doesn't mean they're gonna respond to you, but but you could. And so I'm assuming that it probably happens quite often that somebody Googles, okay, D, D, director of admissions at UT Southwestern back in the day. Oh, Dr. Wright. Oh, look, I found his Facebook page. Let me let me send him a private message. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. not kosher. Not a good idea. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not a good idea. Yeah. 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 I think you have to be, you know, socially aware and emotionally intelligent when you're doing these kind of things to not become a a, a real pest mm -hmm. in, the, in the in the process of it and uh so i i like what you said about the the threads on on sdn or if reddit has something or whatever yep. that where you can just you know kind of uh listen to what they're saying and try to get a sense of the vibe and stuff and perhaps chime in but you don't you definitely don't want to end up uh uh getting getting reported as some sort of uh, <laughs> you know really odd, odd yeah. thing. that would be that would be bad what about linkedin linkedin is this kind of special social network that's more yeah. professional what if i'm a right. pre-med student i have a linkedin it's super professional looking yeah can i connect connect with using linkedin lingo connect with the director of admissions at a medical school i'm interested in they, i mean you you could you they may or may not allow you know, they may or may not accept your connection or whatever, mm -hmm. how that phrase phraseology works for yep. LinkedIn. Um, I've had a few of those in the past um, that have, have come up like that. Uh, I typically not uh, allowed <laughs> them to connect with me. Yep. And, and I usually try to keep LinkedIn as kind of a professional colleague to colleague kind of uh, experience. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think probably a few have sn snuck in here or there, but, yeah. uh, but I would say, you know, just, um, just be, you know, wise. And, and one of the things I would suggest is just bring it up again to your advisor or to uh, maybe a professor or friends that you trust their judgment on and just say, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Don't just, in your own mind, think about it and then do it, you know, bounce it off of a few other people that you really trust, uh, parents, uncle, whatever, whoever it is in your life that you really kind of connect with and trust their judgment and see what they think. And, uh, and then, you know, then that'll at least give you a little bit of an idea of how you can move forward. See if it passes the sniff test. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Cool. All right. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but just need to ask this. How is teaching and how is the teaching and learning environment adapted for DO residents? Wait. How is teaching learning environment adapted for DO residents? Is most of the residents are MDs? Oh, if most of the residents are MDs and the attending is also an MD. I understand that DOs use different techniques for assessment and so on. All I right. think you ought to address this one, right? Yeah, I'll address this. Um the only the, the only difference between MD and DO is OMM. Yep. It's the only difference. And so the better and, question and <laughs> most most DOs don't practice most OMM. DOs don't practice OMM. Exactly. I've went on this rant. I've been on this rant. I've I I actually had um <laughs> because I was feeling gutsy. I had the, he was the president-elect at the time of the American Osteopathic Association, Dr. Mayo. I had him on the Pre-Med Years podcast. And I said, look, Dr. Mayo, love you. Just met you, love you. Um, the DO philosophy of this holistic care, right, is baloney, right? All good physicians treat patients holistically. And he goes, a thousand percent, of course, right? I, I'm not going to argue that. Where he made the distinction of holistic care and holistic this holistic philosophy is that he believes that osteopathic medical schools integrate it into the curriculum better and earlier on than allopathic schools. Yeah. So at the end of the day, physicians 
treat patients to what is known as the standard of care. We ask questions. We go through a history. We go through a physical that helps us collect data. We order labs and get imaging that helps us collect data to build a differential diagnosis, hopefully come up with the diagnosis, and then treat to the standard of care. The only difference is that osteopathic physicians have OMM in their tool bag, toolbox, whatever you want to call it. So that's the difference. So an MD who is the attending with DO residents is going to teach exactly the same things. A DO or or an MD with a DO attending is going to learn all of the same exact things. All of that's the same because we're all treating to a standard of care. So there's there's no difference there at the end of the day. Yeah. So, the you know, you're exactly right. The answer to the question is DOs in an MD residency are not going to have any problems. Yeah. And and as of now, right, it's 2020. As of now, we, we've met that deadline to where all residency programs are single accreditation under ACGMA. And so DOs, MDs are all applying to and being accept, accepted uh, to the same residencies. There's no separate DO residency anymore. Yeah. Yep. And my, uh, and just as an aside, my personal physician, my primary care doctor is a DO, but did an MD residency mm-hmm. and, uh, love him. Fantastic. Wonderful, uh, physician, very caring. And, uh, he has never manipulated me. Yeah. But man, does he treat you holistically? Oh, holy cow! Yes. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Holy cow. All right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What do we got? Rachel was so so entertained by that question. She, she got distracted <laughs> there. No, our our popcorn popping has come to a little bit of a low. Nice. Um, we did have one follow up question to the conversation about. Um, about finding um, finding insight into med schools, mm-hmm. and you know how we have some users who won't post because like of their in on like their names are tied, so they, they won't come through. So it do, it's not showing up in the chat. But mm-hmm. somebody followed up to say, "I've been I've been told you should try to reach out to a dean if there's a med school you're interested in, and try to build rapport." Yeah. Um, and I mean, you guys kind of touched on this already, but think about the numbers. Yes. How many hundreds and thousands of prospective students would be reaching out to that dean every year? Mm. And just ask yourself, if I were that person, would I want to try to build a relationship with every single potential applicant, not even applicant? And odds are, even if you loved the idea in theory, you just wouldn't have the time. Yeah. Um, so it's it's funny that you bring that up because the the old pre-med episode that's going out this week on the on July 22nd as we're recording this uh, is about reaching out to schools and and asking those questions. And I'm a huge advocate to reach out to schools. Now, reaching out to a specific person, I probably wouldn't go and find uh, a specific person, but the generic kind of admissions office email phone number. Yeah. And and really, at the end of the day, I think where students go wrong with this technique, because I, I've been talking about it a long time, to advocate for yourself and build those relationships and connections, is students will go, hi, I, I'm Johnny. Um, I, I'm just calling to introduce myself because I was told that's what I should do, right? And, <laughs> and just like at the end of the day, wasting everyone's time instead of going, okay, Here's my story. Here's my situation. Here's this school that I'm interested in. What super specific question do I have? Not that I made up because I know I need to reach out to them. What question do I have after doing all of my own research that I can call and say, hey, you know what? I thank you for all of the information you put out there. I've I've looked at it all. There's one weird thing about my situation. I just I was hoping I could run by someone. Is that okay? Is yeah. is it if there is there a good phone number, email I can email, whatever, right? And and really getting specific to your situation and that yeah. school and not a hey every school kind of email blast. I'm really yeah. interested. Can I can I build a relationship with you? Yeah. yeah. So I have a couple of interesting uh, stories about that. Uh, not not 
completely related to what you just said, Ron. I, I, I agree with what you said. Um, I, one year we had a student who was apparently very interested in our medical school. Apparently. He, he, Allegedly. This student sent us something that he had worked on for clearly a long time. <laughs> and it was a eight page magazine <laughs> all about him. And there were stories about things that he had done in middle school or the wow. science fair project, or, I mean, it was all, it was, actually, it was a memoir. Uh, it was amazing <laughs> because, and we all like laughed about it and everything about how, wow, this is, this kid really put some energy into this or his mom. And, did. uh, right. <laughs> and, uh, so that, that was one thing, but the, my favorite story related to this was one year we got from an applicant who had not yet been awarded a, um, interview we got a um a a letter in the mail and in the letter was a uh three by five index card mm. and taped to the three by five index card was a matchstick uh, a real wooden matchstick and in teeny tiny little letters written on the shaft of the matchstick was UTSW and let's say Johnny equals the perfect match. <laughs> uh, and we all laughed about that too and everything. But in the, at the end of the day, it didn't make any difference. I mean, the process was going to play out the yep. way it was going to play out. Yep. And so don't put tons of energy. I mean, it's one thing, yes, to be creative, but it's another thing to waste your time. So, so here, let me, let me ask you a question. So do you go like to the, to the director of admission listserv and go, Hey, did anyone else get a creepy matchstick? <laughs> right. A lot of students will ask that question, but like how much communication is there between schools yeah. for either well, certain I, applications or just in general? Now I can tell you uh, very specifically about Texas. There's a lot of it, yep. a lot of it in uh, we all know each other. We have known each other for many, many years. Uh, the dean of admission at, you know, for example, the dean of admission at Texas A&M University Med School, he and I, uh, our families have gone on, you know, things together and, and uh, we've, you know, we, we've known their kids and, 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 and uh, I've known him for 25 years. And uh, so we are very close. And, uh, and so and I think a lot of states are that way. Uh, there's a lot of deans of admissions that know each other, that go on vacations together. And so, yes, absolutely. There's there's uh, uh, a lot of contact. And if you get something bizarre like that. Now, the irony of the perfect match student was we ended up interviewing and making an offer to that student. He did not come to our school. He went somewhere else. <laughs> so in other words, what that meant was it was, all was a lie. bunch of bullshit. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. That's and exactly and right. and it's it's interesting. I, I talk to students about this all the time. Is we have this tool as applicants, this this letter of intent, if a school will take it, and we don't want to ruin it by being selfish and sending a letter of intent to every single every school, school that you've interviewed you know? at, because guess yeah. what's gonna happen is they're not going to take them seriously right. if students abuse them. And so, yeah, it's it's Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting. And, and, and I don't blame the student, right? Maybe at that moment in time, he's like, oh, I, I wanna go to UT Southwestern, we're the perfect match, I live in this town, blah, 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 whatever, whatever the situation was. It's not until a student goes and interviews at a school and, and interacts with the student and sees the culture and is in on, on the campus and sees the facilities that they go, oh, wait, no, I, I like that other school better. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's why yeah. you, don't want to, you don't want to dedicate yourself to, to one school unless you're super locked into that location for, for right. family reasons, other reasons, et cetera, um, and, and not go over the top by sending a, a creepy match. <laughs> Yep, agreed. Ooh. All right. I was just wondering if there's any more info about the single GME uh, in, 
info about the single GMA is going because it is happening this month. I just listened to your specialty stories talking about that. Uh, there's, I don't have any other specific information. I don't think we're going to really know anything um, for a few years on how it's turning out and, and what the results right. are and how DO students are doing at the quote unquote MDs. The, the, that's the, that's the funny thing, right? As I say that, <clears throat> DOs have forever been allowed to apply to MD residencies. It's the right. MD students who couldn't go to the quote unquote DO residencies. Right. It, it'll all be the same. I, I don't right. think at the end of the day, there's a lot of information. There, I don't think there's a lot of questions that are going to need to be asked. Be like, oh, let's see how this is going. Right. It's not like this this single accreditation, the ACGME is, is brand new and they're, they're learning all the, like they've been around. Right. And yeah, it's just, yeah. Hey, we're, we're just, everyone's the same now. Um, and so I, I don't think we're going to have to do a lot of data interpretation and, and research to, to see how things are going. It's just, it's going to keep going the way it's going. Agreed. Oh yeah. All right. Would taking part in a publication in a scientific journal case study make me more, more competitive applicant for med school most people do research but never get publication so i was wondering which is more desired on a medical school application so that that last question is confusing right which is more yeah. desired right because you you can't get a publication without doing Unless research, do research right. and yeah and you're not going to get yeah, not all researchers will get published. So when well, when I mean, you oh. when you were at UT Southwestern, what, however you were working with a rubric or whatever, were there bonus points? Was was there extra cherry on top kind of stuff for? Ooh, this person's published. You know, I think <clears throat> no, not necessarily. My my feeling is because. You, what you're dealing with is a process that that at some level is quantitative, but at the end of the day, it's going to be somewhat qualitative in terms of how the admissions committee is going to talk about what they see in your application. <clears throat> and so, for example, I, I th with this question, I think what's more important is how you talk about the research that you've done and the publication that you that you had. If you talk about it, so a good example would be <clears throat> if you talk about, oh, I did this publication and it's awesome and it got accepted by this journal and blah, 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 and all this stuff, and you're like the fourth person in the list of the application, then, I mean, these people that are on these admissions committees are well-published people. They know what a fourth author means. You know, mm. you did some little stuff. <laughs> and so if you talk about it as if you were the end all and be all of that research project and yep. you're the fourth author, they're going to be like, what the, you know, yeah. this student doesn't get it. It doesn't know? connect. Yeah. And now if you were first author or second author, yeah, you know, but just be, it, it's all about creating meaning and being reflective of what you did and talking about what you did in a way that makes sense to these people who know what they're doing. Yep. And, uh, and so I, I don't think that the question is a valid sort of illustration about how things work. It's not an either or thing. Uh, I think if you have a publication, that's great. Yep. <clears throat> if you don't, it's not a big deal. Yep. I, I agree with you that most applicants that do research are not going to get on some kind of publication. If anything, maybe they're, on a poster presentation at some, some conference or whatever. And, yep. and that's fine too. Uh, but just talk about it realistically uh, about what you did, but mostly focus on what did you learn out of that experience? What was it all about to you? And really uh, how did it change maybe how you felt about research? And, and you can even, you know, I've seen applicants who, who at the end of the day said, you know, I did this, I did this six-month research project with so-and-so professor, and we got all, all the way through it, and, I, and we had a publication that I was third author on, and you know, and the, here's what I did in that publication. And what I learned out of that whole thing is I don't want to do research. <laughs> I don't want to do research, exactly. I'm not interested. Yeah. That's a totally good thing to say. Yeah. 
I, I, I think this question reflects the general pre-med sentiment that we fight day in and day out, that this mm. isn't a checklist. Correct. It's it's not like okay, I need research. Great. Okay. No, I need research that will help me publish. Great. Okay. And right, right I I could sign up for my pre med club at, at the university freshman year and and go every meeting and sit in the back room and do my homework during the meetings and say, oh look, I have three hundred hours of of pre med. Uh, membership and and but no impact, no meaning, no nothing. Right? It's it's your kind of the the what and the so what, right? right. Um, and then the the whole publication game is is really that. Right? Not all research is going to lead to a publication. The timing of it is so specific. You may come in year two of some very important research, stay for two years, and the research's not going to get published for another two years, and you're not, your name's not going to be on it. But what yeah. you did was impactful yeah. to you and your vision of what research is. And no, you didn't end up on the publication as, a, as an author, but that's okay. It's um, a valuable experience. I, I, I think... I think students think admissions committees are dumb <laughs> and they're like, okay, look, I'm a first author. Well, they know that, that public, <laughs> like researchers will play the, Hey, you're a pre-med student. I know that, that first, first person publication, first author on a publication is going to help you. So I'm going to give it to you. Right. They, yeah. they know that game too. So. Yeah. Well, and they also look, you know, I, I think that, admissions committee members are also very savvy in looking up, you know, if it's a journal they've never heard of before. <laughs> or if it, And they you know, look back like, this is a shell corporation for this yeah. student. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's, you know, maybe it's out of their field. And so they don't know they've yeah. never heard of it, but they'll research it and they'll say, well, it's not peer reviewed yep. or this or that or whatever. And so, you know, they're pretty smart about stuff like that. I remember we, I used to, we used to have an admissions committee member who one of the things he loved to do, was uh, if we if we had a student that in in their application in, indicated they're disadvantaged, mm. he loved to Google their address, mm -hmm. and he could check and see what's the appraisal value of their house, where's their house located, you know what kind of neighborhood is it in, and so often he would bring that up in the admissions committee. He would say. This student says they're disadvantaged and they live in an $850,000 house on a lake in blah, 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 you know, whatever. And, and we, we, we would have other admissions committee members who would say, well, but, you know, he may have grown up <laughs> really poor and yep. his father won the lottery or, you know, you never know. But you never know. You love to do that because, you know, a lot of students will really, you know, try to you know, slide something under the, under the rug when it yeah. comes to, uh, and, and, and as you said, right, it's not to say that you can't mark disadvantaged if you live in a nice house, but be prepared potentially to, to be called question. out and go, yep. you know what? Yeah. I, I'm really blessed the last couple of years. My, my mom's worked really hard and has a great job yep. and we're, we, we moved recently, whatever. Yep. And here's my situation and why I put disadvantage, right? Being able yeah. to, to back that up. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. What else? I think we have some folks uh, listening who are taking you literally and now worried that you're talking about learning differences. And that's not the kind of disadvantage you meant just no. now. No, no, no. no. Yeah, just we're to clarify. Economic, we're talking about economic, <laughs> economic disadvantage. Yeah. Yes, and it was just an example. Yeah. <laughs> so on on just to, to get into the specifics, AMCAS specifically, does TMDSAS ask for disadvantaged um, yes. status? Mm -hmm. So AMCAS, TMDSAS, ACOMAS does not. I, I know specifically they do not. Uh, but AMCAS will has a disadvantaged essay that you can yeah. say, do you Same consider thing. yourself mm -hmm. disadvantaged? You get 1,325 yeah. characters, and, and then you answer why Yeah, exactly. um, to dive into that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think I did a general an episode rule of thumb, guys, is we're giving you advice that we want you to extrapolate. <laughs> yeah. ne never take literally. <laughs> okay, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Canada. Use guys. I, I think I may uh, move to Canada soon. <laughs> I know. 
Um, later in November. (laughs) Any tips for Canadians applying to the U.S. as our clinical opportunities are far and few? Uh, Do schools take this into account? So it's it's interesting, right? You being from the TMDSAS world, the Texas world, you probably have very few Canadian applicants applying. Um, Correct. Well, and the, those that we did typically typically have were Canadians who went to U.S. Uh, undergraduate institutions. Yeah. The the Texas just for for people listening later on in a podcast or watching this on YouTube, the 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 general. Um, the thought behind this, the, the the thought behind the question is in Canada, in a lot of provinces, you're not allowed to shadow, um, or in, in at least one province, you're not allowed to shadow. Um, so sh- shadowing is much harder. The privacy rules are much stricter. And so shadowing clinical experience is much harder to come by. Um, and it's less for Canadian medical schools. It's far less, uh, relied upon or used in the application process. Um, and it's different here in the States and, and it's interesting. I'd, I'd love to find out why that is. Um, I was actually connected with someone in Canada earlier today, so I may have them on the podcast later. Um, but really the, the, the question comes down to, okay, in Canada, I can apply to and get into a Canadian medical school without much clinical experience with zero shadowing, just because it's not expected. But it is expected in the U.S. So how do I overcome that, number one? And number two, if I can't overcome it and I apply to the U.S., will a U.S. admissions committee see that I'm Canadian and go, oh, wait, yeah, they're, they're different. We're not going to expect them to have the same amount of clinical experience and shadowing. My sense would be no. Uh, that the, now, you know, maybe that's true. Um, no, no, as people. in they won't expect that, or no, as in they won't like that. No, I, I, I yeah, no, as in I don't think they're going to be able to sort of skirt around that and mm. say, well, because you know, I think that it, 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 at some level, it is a competition, and I hate to use that word, but you are competing against other applicants for a place in the class, and when you just, yeah, yeah, there, there you go. Now, once you're in medical school, it becomes collaborative. <laughs> But there is this level of competition, and what you're having to do is, 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 is show that you know what you're getting into and that you know what you're doing. And uh, if a Canadian comes into it, they're, 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 they have no experience in the American healthcare system. A Canadian healthcare system is different. Yep. Uh, and so the, the, the expectation is going to be that you know what you're getting into by getting into an American a medical school and what the American healthcare system looks like yep. and, and, and behaves like in a, in a somewhat one, one, you know, first hand way. So I, my sense would be no, that you're not going to just be able to say, Oh, well I'm Canadian. Sorry. I don't yeah. have that part. So yeah, you know, I, I, that would not be myself. Right. It's, it's almost the exact same to kind of come full circle here at the end. Uh, the discussion earlier about non-traditional students and why they're potentially not right. getting in. It's like, well, just because you say you want to go to medical school doesn't mean you have the experiences to, sh- to, to show that you know what you're getting into and right. you've been able to reflect on those experiences um, to really prove to the medical schools that this is what you want. And so yeah. it's the same thing for Canadian applicants. And that's really my biggest question is how are Canadian medical schools, what are they relying on? Yeah, are they question. just are they looking for good people? And and that's my assumption, right? The here in the States, because we're so ass backwards with everything, right? We have our private health insurance and we have tuition that is skyrocketing out of control. And and we have to make sure that physicians know what they're getting themselves into, and we have to make sure that they really know that they want to be uh, in clinical right. medicine and take care of patients. Well, Part of that isn't because medicine is so super unique, but part of that is because, well, here in this country, you're going to come out with lots of debt and you're going to come out to a dysfunctional health uh, uh, care system. Yep. Yep. And 
are you prepared for all of that dysfunction and stress and debt and everything else? Whereas in Canada, they are better able to choose for traits of physicians, like being a good person and, oh, they have tons of volunteer experience outside of the hospital, just showing that they're a good person because tuition is low. And so they're coming out with a lot less debt. Their pay is very close to U.S. pay. It was a, there was a there was an actual article several months ago. <clears throat> it was like a physician group in Canada. It was like, "Don't give us a raise. We make enough money. Like, use the money for something else." I'm like, "Wait, wow. what? What is what that?" The hell? Yeah. Um, and so right? they're not coming out right. And and every system has their issues, and nothing's perfect, but. They're much better than we are. And so they have less stress and less debt and blah, blah, blah. And so they don't have to truly, truly make sure that you know what you're, you're getting yourself into. Right. So, Well, hence Casper was created in uh, – the Casper exam was created <laughs> yeah. in Canada. Casper, you know, MMI. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the, they're the, trying to pull out these, these characteristics. These traits. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, not have you have you spent enough time in a hospital to see how crazy everyone is, yeah, right. <laughs> to know that you want to be part of that crazy, <laughs> right. right? It's it's yeah. almost we should almost do the opposite, right? Scott is like, anyone who wants to be president is disqualified because you got to be crazy to want to be want to be president, um, and so if you want to be a doctor, like you can't be a doctor because you got to be crazy. We're just yeah. gonna we're gonna go to the homeless shelter. And just go to go look at their roster. Who's volunteered the most? And go, you're going to be an amazing physician. We'll teach you everything you need to know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it's backwards, but Absolutely. it's the system we got, and we'll fight to improve it as much as possible. All right, is that it for today? Yeah, I think that that's a good stopping point for us. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Doctor Grace rant is a good stopping after point. That storm cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's all right. What's uh, the silver lining? Oh well, I was just gonna say, uh, I think for any physician, the job is hard enough, right? Like without the insurance and the crazy hospital system and whatnot. So. Uh, I'm sorry that the system is so backwards, but I appreciate that we end up with such uh, prepared physicians. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're lucky in that regard. We are, indeed. You guys go through a lot, you pre-meds, but, but we, we as a nation are lucky that we have doctors that aren't you know, going straight from high school to med school, for example. Yeah. Like I think, I think those extra years of maturity and learning even if they don't do anything for you for med school, it's just former years of growing. (laughs) (laughs) But, but does that help? That's the question, right? The UK does that. UK goes straight from high school. In this country where adulthood is starting later and later. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, Okay. I don't believe that age is core is directly tied to maturity, but I think life experience is usually pretty tied to maturity. Yep. Yep. So I, I, uh, I have no problem with young doctors. I mean, I'm at the age where my doctors are usually younger than me. Um, and I, I'm down with that. They they learned recent stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to know that they're uh, highly qualified. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.